Heavenly Father, I thank you for your spirit that leads us. And I pray that we would follow you wherever you call us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. Glad you guys are here on this beautiful, sunny day today. Now, um, I'm very excited uh, to be with you today. And if you have a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, don't panic. The words will be on the screen uh, behind us. We've been in Acts now for a little while. We've heard about uh, what God is doing in the early church in Acts. And uh, we heard about what Stephen did and how God used Stephen uh, last week. And one of the questions we're going to look at today is how is God going to use you? You know, oftentimes we, we ask this question, what is God's will for my life? It's often a question that we ponder. It's a question that we're going to explore today. And it's, it's often a question we ask in seasons of transition. And many of you are in seasons of transition, whether... It's location, you're new to this place, whether it's job, whether it's in your age, you're considering job changes and those kinds of things. There's a lot of ways in which uh, you, all you guys, or all of us, anyway, are in a season of transition. Uh, if you're not currently in a season of transition, you just got out of one or you're about to go in one, and it's likely to come with some challenges. So uh, today we're going to look at uh, what is God's will for my life? We're going to look at that question. Um, I went through a season of transition. Ron and I went through a season of transition a year after we were married. Uh, in our first year of marriage, we were in Greenville, South Carolina. I was working for a medical company at the time. Uh, marriage was awesome and great. Uh, the business was going great. Everything was going great. And um, God just kind of slapped me in the face of Luke 14, 33. says, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. And I could not shake that verse. Every time I heard a sermon, every time I turned on the radio, every time I did a Bible study, that verse was just on me. And at the time, I was looking at a new business opportunity, opening up my own business. And as I prayed through that, and that verse impacted me, and God just kind of worked on my heart, he showed me that it was actually a 180-degree turn that he was turning me uh, in. And it was not this new business opportunity that he was leading me into, but it, he was actually leading me to just leave my job and follow him wherever he was leading. And that was a scary time. I, uh, I didn't work for uh, a year. And um, everybody in my company thought I was an idiot. Why are you leaving this, this goose that laid the golden egg? Uh, but I knew that God had something purposeful for my life. Uh, he had some kind of ministry opportunity for my life. I didn't know what that exactly was. It ended up being... Uh, going into the nonprofit world even before he called me into pastoral ministry. So uh, I just clung to that to that verse. And you know, we ask this question about God. We say, hey, uh, God say to me, I want to know your will and plan for life. I want to kind of see the roadmap. Uh, what is it that you want me to do? And I think sometimes God asks us, uh, are you willing to do whatever I ask you to do? If I reveal that to you, you know, are we willing to kind of go all in? Ben and I were at a church planning conference in Vegas last week, and that's just a concept of Vegas, all in. You know, put all your chips on one color. Are we willing to go all in with the Holy Spirit? Um, 
Francis Chan says it this way. Francis Chan wrote a book uh, called Forgotten Gods, Study of the Holy Spirit. We're exploring the Holy Spirit and how the Bible talks about that in our community groups on Tuesdays and Wednesday nights. And he says this. Chan says, God wants to see his children stake everything on his power and presence in their lives. That's the all-in concept. Stephen was all-in. We, we looked at Stephen's uh, martyrdom over the last few weeks, and Stephen was all-in. And God calls us to do that, to, do, to live that way. The question is, are we doing that? So if we want God to say, okay, what's your will and plan for my life? Are we willing to follow him wherever he would tell us to go? And uh, the, one of the questions of the book that we've been studying is, you know, are we listening, are we currently listening to the Holy Spirit when we're in line at the grocery store? Not just Are we listening to the Holy Spirit when we're making out our budgets and asking God where our where our resources are? Well, in the early church, they were listening to the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, and in Acts 1-2, which we looked at uh, a while back, as Luke, through the power of the Holy Spirit, opens up the book of Acts, uh, he addresses Theophilus and talks about what Jesus began to do and teach. And then in verse 2 he says, uh, he began, Jesus began to explain all this until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Well, God has already given the apostles commands. And so we have this scene where as Jesus ascends into heaven, you've got them looking up at Jesus and angels come and say, well, what are you looking at? He's going to come back the same way he came. And it's almost as if to say, Jesus already told you what you're to do. He's already told you to plan for your life. And, uh, and then in Acts 1.8, he reveals that. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus has already given a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. It's a command, but it's also a promise. You know, we don't like commands too much. And... Uh, but Jesus gives commands. He's, there's expectation of him on our lives because of what he's done for us. But it's also a promise. And we're going to look at that promise in Acts 8 today, our scripture today. Uh, so you can turn there to Acts 8 um, if you have a Bible. And in, so in Acts 8, um, now you've got a scene where just after Stephen is executed, you've got Saul standing there, Saul approving of his execution. And then something, something bad happens. Acts 8, 1 says, And there arose on that, great, on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So this word scattered here in the original Greek is diaspero. It's where we get the term diaspora. You've got a diaspora of people, and oftentimes you'll hear about the Jewish diaspora across the world, from Jerusalem to, to Germany to France. You've got this Jewish diaspora. Sometimes you'll hear uh, African-American culture talk about the di di diaspora from Africa to America and all those places. That's the word that, that we see here in scattered. So it's an, something happened here uh, that created uh, an explosion of the gospel. Uh, uh, persecution that Saul approved of and that Saul started, started this scattering out. And uh, in our process, 
to come here to plant. We pray, many of us pray for a couple of years, and many of us continue to do, we have it set on our palms, either Matthew 9, 37 and 38, or Luke 10, 2. And they both say the same thing. They both say that we're to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into the harvest. Now, that word used there, send out, in the original Greek, is called ekbalo, and it means to force out. It's not like, it's not like, uh, it's not like I might send one of my kids to the car to go get something. It's got a totally uh, different meaning. It's actually the same word that is used when Jesus casts out demons in Luke 11. It's the same word that was used in our last passage about Stephen being cast out of the city in stone. It's a word that suggests violence contrary to the will of the object. So here you've got these two words. You've got dispersion, you've got scattering, you've got uh, diaspero, and you've got ebalo. And this is the promise of God. The promise of God is that he will send us out, sometimes contrary to our own will. And that's what the gospel did. Jesus promised that he'd be my witnesses uh, in Judea, Jerusalem, and Samaria. But it's interesting, just look at that last little clause there in Acts 8.1. Everybody in his persecution was, was thrust out except the apostles. Except the apostles. Now, scholars can debate about why that is. Why is it that the apostles stayed in Jerusalem? Was it because they were scared? Were they disobedient? Or were they more courageous and they felt that they could man their own post? I don't think it really matters to us. Uh, it's just that God's gospel will go forth. And in this case, what we find is that the gospel went forth on the wings of business, not of clergy. And that's, so, that's so important for us. The gospel is not about a few pastors or a few missionaries or a few church planters going out and sharing the gospel. In, 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 in Acts, the gospel spread on the wings of business, not of clergy. And by Acts 11, we find out that it already spread to Antioch, Phoenicia, Cyprus, Cyrene, all these places far flung across the Roman Empire before Paul ever got there. People like to talk about Paul. He's this missionary. He took the gospel here and here and here. Oftentimes, Paul arrives in a city and the gospel is already there before him. And that should be comforting to us and encouraging to us. It can also be convicting to us because God will use somebody else if he doesn't use you. If God's called you to do something very specific, if he's called you to, to, to do his work, um, his work will get done. If he's promised to save many in a city, his work's going to get done. Now, that shouldn't for us mean, well, hey, somebody else will take care of it, hands off. Don't we want to be part of the work of God? I mean, look at Stephen and Philip. Stephen and Philip were deacons. They weren't part of the original apostles. Neither was Paul. Paul was sitting here approving the execution that drove everybody out except for the apostles. And Paul talks about being an apostle uh, untimely born because he was not one of the originals. So God's going to do what his work is to do. And so I, I don't want to, uh, I want to be careful about saying, oh, look at these, these uh, disobedient apostles did not come out of Jerusalem to go to Judea and Samaria. Because it's it's natural human tendency to gather. We much prefer to gather than to scatter. But as we see what God's doing, it's much more important for us to scatter than to gather. How are we to reach the nations if we don't scatter? 
uh, you know, we look at the mega church movement in America, and uh, I've got a lot of friends. I used to work at a mega church. I, you know, that's great. But the the scriptural, the biblical account says very little about mega churches. It says much more about the church spread. Now, if you were to say, well, what about the three thousand? They were saved in one day there in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem church, I mean, they had 3,000 saved in one day. They were all gathering worshiping together. Well, yeah, but that was in Acts 2. Here we are in Acts 8, and Acts 8 says that they were all scattered except the apostles. So all those 3,000 that we're talking to, he says they were all scattered. So here we've got this missionary movement early in the church because of persecution. God will do what he's going to do. And in the same way, Hope Church will measure herself not on how well we gathered, but how well we scattered. Uh, Rick Warren, uh, pastor of Saddleback Community Church in California, humongous uh, main church, said that Saddleback will be much more judged upon our sending capacity than our seeding capacity. And that's what we want to do at Hope Church. We want to be not a consumer warehouse, but an equipping center. Equipping people in each area of their life to launch out into their domains of influence. A domain is just a sphere of influence. And we want to be part of that equipping. And we've got all kinds of different domains. There's a thousand different domains. And we've especially got this business domain and this education domain. We've got all these teachers and we've got people in our schools. We've got uh, business guys, people that fly all across the world in business. So we've, we've certainly got an education domain and a business domain. And our job at Hope Church is to equip people to be empowered in that domain, to share the gospel, to share hope, to share joy in their particular area of influence. And so if you ask, well, what's God's will for my life? God knows exactly where you're supposed to live. Acts 17, 26, as he determines our boundaries and our places of dwelling. He knows exactly where you're supposed to be. He's given you the job, the exact job he's given you. You may not like it, but he's given you that job, and he may give you that one. That's fine. So God's got you exactly where he wants you. And so our constant focus on what does God want to do? You know, what, what job should I take? What church should I go to? We ask these questions. When our questions should be not what church should I go to or what job should I have, but how do I change my city and the world? That should be the question that burns in our hearts. How do I change my city? So you may have come here. You may have moved here uh, with your family or with a job. You may not exactly know why you moved here. Uh, you may have thought that it was for family or job. But really, your family is the family of God. And your job is to expand that family, to multiply, to invite people into this family of joy that we have. Acts 8, 2 through 4 says this. We go on, after this dispersion, this diaspora, we see the devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. A couple of things here. Uh, just as a side note, Devout men burying Stephen and making great lamentation was important. Stephen was a condemned, uh, was condemned. Stephen was on death row. He was stoned. But there were still faithful followers that lamented him. 
in that in that culture, you were not supposed to mourn over those who had had a death sentence. Yeah, bury them, but don't say anything about it. And these these guys, devout men, were making a big stir about it. They were lamenting and wailing as evidence of the gospel. They are declaring the gospel in their mourning. I mean, how do you how do you even do that? You think about a funeral. Uh, funerals are not a place for happiness generally, but they are a place for joy. And the difference is, we don't just put on pasted on smiles and walk around a funeral and act like nothing happened. We mourn, but we have great joy because we know that Christ will receive us. We know that this is not the end. We know that we can encourage others. And in this case, in Stephen's case, we know that his death glorified God. So as they're mourning and lamenting, they're glorifying God, declaring the gospel in the streets of Jerusalem in their mourning clothes. It's a great picture. And then we have Saul ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them in prison. And, and we sometimes we just jump over this that we got here Saul ravaging. This word ravaging in the original language is like a dog on a bone. It's like a wolf ravaging a wild animal. Saul's ravaging the church. And that ravaging created the scattering. And so even in his sin, even in his hatred, God was using Saul. So Saul didn't even know it, but he was creating the expansion of the gospel, not the other way around. As his, as what, what the enemy means for evil, God means for good. And man, that is good news. That is good news to know that when attacks come, God may be even using that attack for his glory and his purpose in my own life. So when I feel like, hey, man, I'm being attacked, God might be using that very thing, that very attack, or that very persecution to declare his glory. And for my good. Wow, that's, that's a hard concept to wrap your mind around, especially when we see the persecution going on in the worldwide church. So, how do I change my city? What's God's will for my life? How do I change my city? Verse 4 said, they went about preaching the word. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They went about in whatever domain they were. Maybe they were a tent maker. Maybe they were a pottery person. Maybe they were, maybe they were a seller of purple cloth. Whatever it was that took them to Antioch, Cyprus, and Cyrene, whatever it is they could do, because they had to be industrious, they had to be entrepreneurial, because they, they're picking up, they're driving out, they're going to do something else. So whatever it is, whatever domain they had, they just went about. The Bible says they just went about preaching. Now, it doesn't say that they went about lamenting the persecution in Jerusalem. They didn't go to Antioch, and the first thing that came out of their mouth was, man, those people in Jerusalem were terrible, those bad Jews. Now, they may have told their stories, but they, they went there with the gospel. They just went about preaching. In the same way, you have been scattered for God's glory. As I look around this room, I think everybody's from a different place. I think everybody, I think everybody's from a different place. Well, you've been scattered for God's glory. God's put you in this place at this time, in this congregation, in this church, for his glory. He's up to something with your life. Even if you think this transition is because of persecution, or if you think this transition is temporary, or what however you think about this transition, God's got a plan for you. And he's got a purpose for you. Some of you. Uh, will say, I have to fly for work. You know, I've got to fly out to L.A. next week. I have to 
Chris Miller flies all over the world. He goes to exotic places, not here today. He goes to Malaysia and other places. That's a fly for it. Well, every time you get on a plane, you should see that as a mission trip. Every trip is a mission trip. Every single time. And so when Ben and I came back from Vegas, I don't always like this now. Uh, sometimes God has to ekbalo me. He has to scatter me. <laughs> and uh, right before we got on the plane to Vegas, we just Payway at the airport, and we were scarfing down Payway as fast as we could but before we had to get on the plane to come back here from Vegas. But right before we ate that Payway, Ben said, God, give us an opportunity to meet people on the plane, to pray for them, to share the gospel. And when we finished eating, I was tired. I'm like, man, why'd you have to pray that prayer? Because sometimes we just want to sleep on the plane. Sometimes we just want to be in the grocery store line and get our groceries. You know, sometimes we just want to, we don't want to do that. You know, we don't gear, oh, I gotta get all geared up for that. But I'm so glad he did. Uh, I sat next to a former uh, Mormon bishop named Larry on the plane. And we had an awesome conversation about who God is, God's glory, God's dignity, the nature of salvation, uh, what heaven is like. And, I mean, we had an awesome conversation. In that conversation, he just whipped out his business card and said, man, I love the now that doesn't happen much. I don't usually say, hey, give me your email. Uh, but he gave me his card, and we've talked this week. God is up to something every time we travel. The Rodriguez family traveled a couple of weeks ago. They got in their van and drove to California. And on the way there, they broke down right around Cedar City. And Seth called them. I think he texted us first and said, hey, pray for us. And then, then I called him. And the Rodriguez's uh, were not in a good state. Five hours, the family sat at a rest stop. It was hot. Five hours, they sat at a rest stop with little baby Judah on the side of the road while Seth rode with the tow truck driver to get the van looked at. So here he's got his whole family in some weird trucks, weird uh, rest area. And we all have seen a date line about a rest area. <laughs> but So they're all in a rest area. They're up under a, a shelter. They got a little shelter there. But little baby Judah and Kirsten with all the kids are there for five hours. So we made some calls. He called, Seth called me, and he was nervous, uh, to say the least. Um, but on the way to the car, Seth got to have an awesome conversation with that tow truck driver. Shared the gospel with that tow truck driver. Uh, and he had never heard the gospel. And so, God was doing something. Seth got ekbaloed into a, into a broken down car situation in a rest area so that God's gospel could go forth. And I asked Seth afterwards, I said, hey, uh, would that guy have heard the gospel if your car had not broken down? He said, probably. I said, would you have gotten that opportunity if your car had broken down? He said, probably. And praise God. And... The good news was, is that the church collected an offering to get him back home in a rental van. His dad gave them a van, and so it was still for his good. They still got a car. They still got home. The story, the story turned out okay. It's not a date line. You know, there's not a bunch of Rodriguez's is uh, missing now. <laughs> um, and God's gospel went forth. I mean, that's the awesome thing. So whether it's by plane or by van breaking down or whatever, in these tiny little details. God has got a plan and a purpose for our lives, even in suffering. So every trip you take should be a mission trip. Now, you may be saying mission trip, and uh, my house isn't even 
I, you know, I'm just here. I'm just here trying to hear what God's will for my life is. We're talking about a mission trip, and and I, I just, I want to know if I'm right with God. I don't even know if I'm right with God. Well, the second section of this passage should give you hope. Five through seven says this. Now Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds of one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard it and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So Philip goes down to the city of Samaria. Uh, he ends up sharing the gospel with a eunuch in that's headed back to Ethiopia, and the whole gospel goes to Africa. And when Philip shares it with the eunuch, he's just sitting, he's on the side of the road, sitting up in his chariot, and Philip just says, hey, you know what you're reading about the prominent of the Holy Spirit, and the whole gospel goes to Africa, all of Africa, through this one encounter, through an encounter on the road, a temporary, short-term encounter. And so when we think about, oh man, I don't, I can't talk this part. What good will it do? And because we always tell ourselves those stories. Like I, when I'm sitting there next to Larry on the plane, saying, "Man, he's not even listening. This is work, all this kind of stuff." And then I started saying some things. He was like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." And then, you know, but what about this? What about this? So you just never know what God's up to. Um, so Philip goes down to the city of Samaria to proclaim Christ, and the crowds are paying attention to him, and with one accord. Unclean, they're listening to him, and unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. Now, when we talk about this, we just need to understand when the gospel comes to a city, unclean spirits come out. Now, don't, don't overcomplicate this, this unclean spirit. When the gospel comes to a city, unclean spirits come out. The reason I say don't uncomplicate. Is there is a spirit of pornography. There's a spirit of addiction. There's a spirit of anger. I mean, have you ever had have you ever had an angry outburst at your spouse and say, what possessed me to do that? Or in your apology to her, you might say, I just don't know what got into me. And I know this because I've done this. Uh, there's something that gets in us, that is in us, that's just our sin nature. And so in the explanation of apology, I usually say something like, God, yeah, I can't believe Satan, I let Satan do that, or I can't believe I let the enemy get in me like that. But there's a part of me that is still the flesh. And we're praying that God would fill us with his spirit all the time so that flesh doesn't act out like the flesh does. But it does. And if we don't have Jesus, we're always going to have the flesh. We're going to have, we're going to be possessed a little bit by the flesh that motivates those angry outbursts. We're always, we're, we're always going to do that. Without Christ, without the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ filling us, we've got no way to be right with God. And that's the beauty of the gospel. When the gospel comes to a city or to a person, unclean spirits come out. God's freed us from this because of what he's done. Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus never had an angry outburst. Jesus had righteous anger and drove people out of the temple in a controlled manner. 
But he never just had an angry outburst. His emotions never got away from him. And he lived a life that we can't. So we have to look to the life of Christ for our redemption. And then he died a sinner's death that we deserve. And he was raised three days later, proving to the enemy that Jesus was not guilty of all of our sin. He bore our sin, but he wasn't guilty of it. And so he rose three days later, proving that we too can live in freedom. The Bible says Christ came to set the captives free. He's casting out these unclean spirits. Why? So we can be free. So we can walk in freedom. Man, that's good news. That's the gospel. So, why did he free you? If we're going back to the question, what's God's will and God's plan and his purpose? Well, first of all, his purpose is, is reconciliation to himself. So if you aren't reconciled to Christ, the rest of this stuff may not make much sense. But I can tell you, you can be reconciled to Christ today. He comes to you to cast out your unclean spirits, to free you from captivity to sin. Man, that's good news. I pray that you would accept it. You would repent of your sin and accept the freedom to walk in Christ, to be free from these unclean spirits. Now, if you have been free, then why be free? The Bible says... You're not free to spend it on your, own, on your own pleasures. And oftentimes, that's what we do. Well, golly, I'm free. I'm free now. I'm free, so I don't, I don't have to go to church. I don't have to give. I don't have to share the gospel. I'm free to have freedom. I don't have to have discipline, fasting, and prayer. I don't need to do any of that. Well, the Bible doesn't. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus teaches. He didn't free you to make you comfortable. Now, he gives us comfort. The Holy Spirit gives us comfort. But it's not laying on the couch kind of comfort. It's resting in Him and His salvation kind of comfort. That's a big comfort. Uh, Francis Chan, again, who we've been talking about, said it this way. Jesus did not die in order to follow us. Jesus did not die in order to follow us. Wow, that's, that's convicting. So as I make plans, and I say, oh, God, what's God's plan for my life? If I'm listening to the Holy Spirit, then I'm saying, whatever your, God, whatever your plan is, I'm following. Here at Hope Church, we say that our mission is to follow Jesus and fish for men. If we're following Jesus wherever he would take us, then we're, then we're ready to say yes to whatever he would say. But oftentimes what we do is, God, I want to hear from you as long as it lines up with my desires. I want to hear from you. Like job promotion, yeah, let me hear that. I'll open, the, I'll open the door window of my mind for a promotion. But a demotion? Well, I'm not so sure that's the will of God. That's oftentimes what we say. But verse 8 tells us that we were freed for a purpose. Verse 8 says, so... There was much joy in that city. Your purpose is to bring joy to a city. That's your purpose. And verse 8 says there's much joy in there. Well, how is that? Well, verse 4 has already told us. How do we bring joy to a city? <coughs> verse 4 said, bless you, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That's how we bring joy to a city. That's what came first. Yeah, there were signs of healing. There were unclean spirits cast out. And we're to do that. We're to preach and we're to heal. Every hospital in the United States was started by a Christian institution. Think about it. Remember? Methodist hospital, Presbyterian hospital, Jewish hospital. All these religious institutions say, hey, look, we're going to heal too. 
So we're to preach and heal. But verse 4 says the first thing they did is they were scattered. They went about preaching the word. And with the word came power. With the word came the casting out of unclean spirits. And with the word, much joy came to the city. Man, that is awesome news. So we just go about preaching the word. Whatever domain, whether you're in education, you're in the classroom, you're looking for opportunities to share hope. You're looking for opportunities to share hope with teachers. To start little Bible studies in your domain. That doesn't mean we're going to gather up at Murray Chapel on Wednesday nights and do it here. No, no, no. God's put you into a domain. We're to empower you to go into that domain and take that gospel. So we're going to talk a lot about domains, identifying domains, how to, how to interact with those domains. We're going to talk a lot about that. Because ultimately, this scripture tells us that we'll be scattered by choice or by force. We'll either go out, we'll obey God, we'll obey the commandment, or he'll send us out. His gospel's going to go forth. That's the promise. The promise is that the gospel's going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. So those guys aren't leaving Jerusalem? Okay. While you saw in his persecution, I'll bring Stephen home. I've got a good home for him. I'll bring Stephen home. I've got this plan. God's got a plan for your life, a perfect plan to put you in exactly the right place to declare his glory. And think about what you're offering to Our goal at Hope Church is to bring joy to this city and to the world. And this city needs joy. This city, this state of Utah, you may not know, but the state of Utah is prescribed more antidepressant medication than any other state in the Union. Twice as much as the national average. Total prescription Narcotic painkiller use is also number one. People are hurt. People are in pain. People are depressed. People are experiencing a living hell, even in a religion. That's what we've got here. And so the opposite of joy with the Father is hell. And we don't want to see people experience a living hell without Christ here on this earth or in the next life. And so God's given us the words of life to speak to people. What an awesome job. That's my job. That's God's plan for my life. What a job that is. Hey, your job is to save lives eternally. That's, that's a pretty good job description. Through Christ, it's not me. Through Christ, God is saving lives. He's restoring people to the Father. And man, you run into people all day long who you think are having a happy, normal life. Uh, the valley just south of here has been proclaimed as the happiest city on earth. Um, those aren't really scientific studies. That's like a USA Today thing. People just say, hey, yeah, we're all happy because we're supposed to be happy. That's what we're supposed to do. Gin up some happiness. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a joy that abides, a joy that can watch Stephen being stoned and still understand the Father loves us and the Father loves you. That's the joy that we're offered. It's the opposite of hell. And so that's what we're called to do. We're called to give people this awesome freedom because Jesus came to set the captives free. And if he came to set the captives free and you follow him, then God's will and plan and purpose for your life is to set That's good news. That's the gospel. That's our purpose.
Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you. Lord, I thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for my life. I thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for each person's life in this room. And Lord, I pray right now that they would listen to your Holy Spirit. I pray that they would listen to what you're saying to them about being free from an unclean spirit, being free from an idol, being free to walk in you in pleasure and joy. Lord, I pray that that freedom would be so enticing that you would draw by your spirit people to be reconciled to you through Christ. And then, Lord, I pray that you would help us understand that it's our mission to spread that joy to anyone who has ears to hear, so that they might not experience a living or an eternal hell, but they might experience perfect forgiveness and perfect joy.